Brock Lesnar could be coming back to WWE and Triple H is teasing some big plans for after WrestleMania. Find out more by searching Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello everybody, it's Jack from Cultaholic and I'm here back again in 2024, although it is February now. We have some matches to talk about from the wonderful month of January. Some good and some that maybe didn't make my matches of the month but were notable. I'm talking about the Royal Rumble. Uh, We'll talk about all of that and more because it's time for Matches of the Month. Let's go. Let me tell you about Jordan Grace. This woman has muscles in places you don't even have places. What a beast. Cargill has eliminated Nia Jax. Kevin Owens now with Logan Paul. Logan down and through the table. After three and a half years, Andrade's back in WWE. The final four. Punk, McIntyre, Rhodes, Gunther. High stakes. High pressure. Looking for the go to sleep. Cody, though, able to catch him. I'm not Dusty's kid anymore. I'm the Cody Rhodes is going to WrestleMania. Yes, we could only start with the biggest show of the month, which was the Royal Rumble, which seems, (laughs) looking back now, a million years away ago, doesn't it? Because so much stuff has happened since. Primarily uh, the main event of WrestleMania and all that sort of stuff. And, of course... The, the whole allegations against Vince McMahon and everything. Terrible stuff. Thankfully, 
We're here to talk about the wrestling. Uh, not to say that, you know, everything going on outside the ring isn't important. It's very important indeed. But um, we're going to try and keep it light on matches of the month. So we're going to talk about the Royal Rumble. I don't think any of the matches on the show will make my matches of the month come the end of the episode. We'll see. But I think there was probably 10 better matches here, there, and everywhere. In fairness, it shows what a difference uh, it makes how and where you watched a wrestling show. Because watching it in the office, we were all a little bit underwhelmed. I thought my own take on the show was slightly higher than that of the general consensus online, which seemed to be a bit negative. But still not... I wasn't like... I wasn't blown away by it. Whereas the lads who went down to London and watched it in the box park at Wembley, thank you to everybody who went and everything. My God, everyone had a great time. I assume because they were watching it together, big communal thing, maybe a bit of alcohol sloshing around as well. And that probably, um, you know, probably enhanced the viewing experience. Um, but yeah, like I say, I was not I was kind of middling on the show. I wasn't really down on it like many seem to be. But I wasn't, as I say, I wasn't blown away either. Uh, both the, the Rumble matches, I thought, just sort of lacked something. The ending of the women's match I thought was very good. Kind of from Jade Cargill's entrance onwards and the whole showdown with Nia Jax, the elimination of Becky Lynch, Liv Morgan coming out at number 30 and making it all the way to, well, she was the last person eliminated, wasn't she? So that, that ending featuring Bailey, Jade and, and Liv was very, very good. Um, but the, the match before it didn't, you know, didn't capture the imagination as much as I would have hoped a Royal Rumble would have. I don't know if it's been a little while since we've had a really blow-away Royal Rumble match. Maybe the one that drew one in uh, 2020. Yeah, it was all right, though. And as I say, the ending was good. I thought the action in the men's match was a little bit tighter throughout, but I just kind of the opposite of the women's match. I don't know if the final bit was as epic as they'd envisioned with Cody and CM Punk. I was surprised that Cody won. I thought Punk was definitely going to win, and then Cody would have to get through the Elimination Chamber to finish his story and all that sort of stuff. But um, no, they just went with Cody, made it very confusing when it emerged that apparently, reportedly, The Rock was already involved in the secret of behind-the-scenes plans. Uh, so it makes me think, why didn't they have Punk win? Turned out to be a massive blessing in disguise, obviously, because Punk got injured, which is a huge shame. So yeah, the story coming out of the Rumble wasn't so much the matches themselves, it was the, the consequences of such matches and the whole maze-like journey we've been on since to get to where we currently are. Yeah, I didn't... Neither Rumble match, I think, will live particularly long in the memory for me. Um, the problem may have been too much hype, because heading into the show, people were saying, especially about the men's one, oh, this could be an all-timer. There's so many people that we want to see either win or be heavily featured in this Rumble match. And I think the bar might have just been too high to live up to when all was said and done. Also, I think the structure of the Rumbles, the way they, they currently seem to be planned out, doesn't jive too well with my own personal taste. Maybe you agree. I like a little bit more of a structured rumble. These felt a bit loose. People would come in, get a bit of a reaction, and then kind of fall into the rest of the match, get involved in the, the crowd that was already in the ring, and the ring would fill up in both rumbles. I like ones that are more structured, where there's like a beginning, middle, and an end. Maybe the ring gets cleared out by a big heel, and then, you know, someone goes on a bit of a solo run. Then it fills up again towards the end. Then we get a big final four or whatever. I like it to be a bit more regimented in that way. A bit more of a clear story rather than these kind of modern, slightly more freeform seeming rumbles that we get in the past few years. So yes, neither rumble was especially for me, but I just thought it was worth dwelling on them for a second given what's come out since, especially in the men's division. Uh, out of the other matches on the card, this is a weird one because I, I saw everybody just absolutely crapping on the men's four-way match. I assume because it was the most predictable thing in the world that Roman was going to win and he won in the way that he's been winning for a long time. But I actually enjoyed it more than I think people tended to. 
I thought the action was good, and I enjoyed the theme of Roman getting increasingly more lucky as these title defenses go on. I know people are sick of it by this stage, and I still, as many people do, I still stand by the, the my opinion that Cody should have really won last year. But as far as a match with the most obvious winner in the world goes, I thought it was still quite enjoyable, you know. However, I think the best match of the show was probably Logan Paul versus Kevin Owens, which seemed to receive a generally much more positive response from people watching. And this is a response that I did agree with. I thought, yeah, it was good as well. In fact, a serious argument could be made could be made, and has been made by many that it was the best match of the night, which should not be happening because Logan Paul shouldn't be as good as he is. And on a show filled with so much talent, it's strange that like a part-timer or a very new wrestler such as Logan Paul has had probably the best match of the night. Kevin Owens is fantastic, obviously, and will have helped him through it. But it just remains absolutely sickening how good and how much of a natural Logan Paul is. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Logan will presumably carry the belt, the US title into WrestleMania and defend against somebody. People are suggesting LA Knight. I could see possibly a rematch with Kev. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But yeah, that was kind of my little rumble recap, which I kept fairly short there. Again, as I say, just because none of the matches on it, I don't think we'll make my top 10 at the end of this episode, but we'll have to wait and see. And now we're going to move swiftly on to talk about a promotion called New Japan Professional Wrestling, because it was Wrestle Kingdom in January, of course, and they had some other matches at other shows around the world as well. So let's crack on. This is the New Japan section. Billy Robinson said if he doesn't tap in six seconds, it's to something else. The goal oh, is not submission. The goal. It's punishment. Exactly. Oh, it's punishment. Oh, to the eye. The eye. Oh. An arm for an arm. An eye for an eye. Oh, Danielson came into this matchup thinking punishment. And he stops. Oh, right back into the bell lock. And now, straight arm break. Oh, God. I take it to the ground game again. It's only right to begin the New Japan section talking about Wrestle Kingdom and the best match at Wrestle Kingdom, in my opinion, somewhat predictably, Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada, two men who will be regarded when all is said and done as two of the best to ever do it, especially Danielson, I think. And I really enjoyed this match. I think I enjoyed it more than their first one at Forbidden Door, which was still good, was marred towards the end by an injury, of course, to Brian, but he gutted it out and still finished the match. Full credit to him. This sequel at Wrestle Kingdom was a bit more patient, uh, grueling, I think quite tense and quite punishing as well. And I think that Brian, weirdly, kind of stole the show for me, even though he was the one definitely losing this match because he'd beaten Okada in 2023, they weren't going to pass up the opportunity to have Okada get his win back, especially in his in his home, in his in his backyard in Japan, of course. But I thought Danielson's performance was particularly fantastic. Not that Okada wasn't great as well, but this felt, I don't know if it makes sense to say this felt more like a Brian Danielson match than a Kazuchika Okada one. And in a world where the epic Japanese main event style is so common and so ubiquitous these days, I think it was good that we had a, a more gritty, grueling Brian Danielson style wrestling match instead uh, made it stand out on the card for all the right reasons in my opinion there was very intense stuff with the eye work on Danielson as well Okada targeting the injured orbital bone loved that but I thought actually the more interesting element was Brian working on Okada's hand or his arm limiting the 
uh, the effect of the Rainmaker, or I guess to dissuade him from using the Rainmaker because Brian knows that that's going to blast him in the injured eye and it's probably going to spell the end. And it, and it indeed did. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was the only Rainmaker used in the match. So clearly the story they wanted to tell here was it only took one Rainmaker to put Daniel down, uh, Daniel, Brian Danielson, excuse me, given his injuries. But at the same time, it was all about him trying to avoid it throughout the match. It was cool. I liked it. It was very interesting and changed the usual Okada formula, which is like so many Rainmaker attempts and indeed so many uh, Rainmakers that connect. Uh, plays well, not only with the eye injury, but with Brian's overall quite battered condition. And it also reminded me what an insane result that 2023 Forbidden Door match was for Brian to win over Okada. Little doubt here that Okada would get his win back, um, especially with it possibly being his last ever Wrestle Kingdom match as a member of the New Japan roster. Although I wouldn't be surprised if he came back in future years, even though he'll have left by the time the next show begins. If this match was more of a torch-passing moment against a fellow, maybe younger member of the New Japan roster, I would have fully predicted that Okada would be losing. But in this case, against Brian, no chance. But the, the fact that I kind of, and that we all kind of knew or highly suspected who was going to win this match, I don't think affected it too much. I still really enjoyed it. And yeah, I thought it was pretty comfortably the best match on the show. A match that was criticized heading in and criticized afterwards actually turned out being another of my favorite matches of the show, which I was not expecting. Uh, the IWGP Global Championship match for this new belt, Osprey versus Moxley versus David Finlay. And yeah, the reaction to it uh, coming out of the match, I actually saw before I watched Wrestle Kingdom. I wasn't able to watch it live. And I saw the reaction before I'd actually watched it, and it seemed to be split. Some people enjoyed it, but I saw a lot of people saying that it was far too messy, far too much of like a like an interference fest, etc. But I didn't think it was too full of interference. There was obviously an element of interference in the match, certainly from the war dogs. I thought it, was, it played off well with Osprey and Moxley taking care of the interfering Bullet Club lot fairly quickly. And yes, it did lead to Finley getting the win, which might be people's real beef with the match that's led to this criticism because obviously Finley is comfortably the least noteworthy or the least popular of the three, which isn't hard given the stature of Moxley and Osprey. But I didn't really mind it in the end. If you told me Finley was definitely winning going into this, I'd be like, oh no. But actually, I found it to be quite chaotic fun. Would I have preferred it if it had been the originally build match of Moxley versus, Moxley versus Osprey? Probably, yes. But I thought a decent amount of the match was Moxley versus Osprey, with the pair teaming up to take out Finley early on, him, him having to sort of worm his way back into proceedings. I enjoyed it way more than I thought. I get that New Japan has strayed from its insane peak in the 2010s. Uh, there's a lot more interference on shows now. There's a lot more heelish, Western heelish antics. But again, in this specific instance, in this specific match, I didn't find it too much of a negative. I thought it enhanced it in some ways, in fact. It was pretty cool. Finley getting the win is interesting. And I think the logical choice, given that he's the only one in this match who's still a member of the full-time New Japan roster... And I guess it's an interesting beginning of a story to give him some steam, give him some momentum, I suppose. So yeah, I enjoyed that one. Um, for the rest of the New Japan Wrestle Kingdom card, I guess I'll touch upon the main event as well. For the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, Sonada defending against his former stablemate, his former leader, Tetsuya Naito. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of it, sadly. For a combination of factors in this match, both... Uh, well, for a combination of factors, some in the match itself but some outside of the match, such as, in my opinion, it not really feeling like a Wrestle Kingdom main event or a modern Wrestle Kingdom main event, which I think is a symptom 
of New Japan's booking stagnation after that boom period I mentioned in the 2010s, and also unlucky timing with injuries and that sort of stuff, to be fair. I don't think it felt... Yeah, there's an inbuilt story with Sonata being a former protege and a stablemate of Naito's, and Naito coming back to try and win this belt from him. I don't know if it was quite the the level of hype surrounding the main event that there should have been for a Wrestle Kingdom main event. I thought it was fine. I thought both guys obviously are really good and they both did really well for the most part. But then there was also a few little instances of like the Destino botch in the finishing stretch, for example, which led to an, a, a long period of quite obvious communication between the two. The crowd seemed to totally buy it for some reason as a tense standoff, but watching it not in the arena live, watching it on a screen, I was like, uh they're clearly talking to each other and reminding each other what to do next here. And that really took me out of it down the stretch, unfortunately, which was a very important part of the match. So it wasn't the best thing on the show, and I didn't find it to be too grand or fitting a main event. It wasn't terrible or anything like that. It was still, it was still pretty good. It's Sonata and Naito, so it's, it, it was pretty good. Now we're going to switch from Wrestle Kingdom over to New Japan's big US show of the month, Battle in the Valley, which had uh, a, a huge card, a massive double main event, First, John Moxley versus Shingo Takagi in a no-DQ match. It was interesting to see Shingo in this type of match. I'm used to him, I'm used to him having these big, massive, um, sorry, Japanese-style bangers, obviously main event-style Japanese matches where he's firing up, showing fighting spirit, hitting his opponent really hard, getting hit really hard, and all that sort of stuff, which uh, Shingo does very, very well. He's one of those people who really benefits from this epic New Japan main event style more than a lot of his peers, I would suggest. Yeah, I, I I thought that it was, despite him fitting that style really well, it was very interesting to see him in this sort of match, this Western no-DQ style match. Uh, and it was definitely a lot of fun. Moxley is so great at these, man. Like, the, there was blood, obviously. There was the surprise miss towards the end from Shingo. Lots of really fun weapon spots and everything you want in a big, fun no-DQ match between two really scary guys. And they both looked like an absolute mess towards the end, covered in blood and the mist and all that sort of stuff. I really enjoyed it. And if you haven't seen it, I would recommend checking out Moxley versus Shingo. Meltzer gave it five stars. He also gave the next match five stars, the main event of the show. But I comfortably, I think, preferred the uh, the penultimate match, Moxley versus Shingo, more than I enjoyed the main event, which was... I'll try and explain my thoughts on this. Because in my mind, it wasn't a five-star match, even though it was given five stars. Uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay, a match that we've seen several times before, including a lot of people's match of 2023 at last year's Wrestle Kingdom. Obviously, Okada and Ospreay have insane chemistry. They're both in unbelievably talented wrestlers, incredible in the ring. I just found the atmosphere of this match a little bit weird. I don't want to say it was going through the motions because they were doing, obviously, a lot of effort was put in by both men. They're doing complex sequences and so on. But I, I, to me, it just felt really weird. I've written this in my notes. I don't know if I don't know if I quite agree with it now sitting here, but I've put it it was like two people pretending to have a five-star match. And I think part of that was because of this inescapable realization that they're on their way out of New Japan, both of them, and yet they're kind of having a more similar match to what they normally would. They didn't try and change it up too much, the tone. So yeah, I found it even though the the work, the the wrestling was very impressive as always. Uh, yeah, I found it a little bit hollow. And I can't quite work out why, but maybe it's for the reasons I've just theorized there. Yeah, and, and also, as, as I say, the fact that it came after that match of the year contender last year at Wrestle Kingdom, it was never really going to live up to that. Nor should it, because I don't want both guys, I don't want both guys to risk their health trying going all out to put on an absolute banger before they're moved to, in Osprey's case, AEW, and in Okada's case, probably also AEW. 
So there we go. Those were the New Japan matches. Don't worry if it feels like we're rattling through this episode because the next two sections are pretty chock full because away from the big major promotions... Ah, no, we've got some AW coming up, but away from the two promotions I've mentioned so far, WWE and New Japan. Outside of that, there was quality all over the place in January, all over the map. And where better to start on the map than with my favorite section and yours, North America, and, uh, and one match from the UK as well. Let's have a look at what this idiot did. United Kingdom. one place I could start uh, and it's with the UK match in question I am biased because it's my local promotion North Wrestling excellent check them out if you haven't heard of them already the excellent Tom Campbell as the ring announcer and commentator uh, who edits these thank you Tom and Vader Scott providing excellent co-commentary as well in person for the first time she was over in the UK for this show and the match that the North put on in this main event was uh, for the North Wrestling Championship Leon Slater this prodigy this this guy who's been talked up as the next will osprey the next big incredible talent to come out of the uk wrestling scene so young he's he's well he's inexperienced but he doesn't seem it like inexperienced relative to older wrestlers who've been doing it for years but he puts the graft in he wrestles all over the place recently in tna as well and just the scary thing is just keeps getting better and better and better he is outrageous. I hope he goes on to succeed all the things that his potential indicates he's capable of. He was taking on the challenger, Speedball Mike Bailey. We know Speedball Mike Bailey, ridiculous athlete in the ring, combines high-flying stuff with really crisp martial arts strikes and that sort of stuff. This was an excellent matchup, and as soon as it was announced, you knew that they were going to deliver, and thankfully they did. This match is free on YouTube. And uh, I would recommend checking it out. It's also unusually for North Wrestling. It was an all-ages event, which gave it quite a nice different little atmosphere because instead of beery adults, there was a mixture of like enthusiastic adult wrestling fans, but also the kids. You heard like children cheering and cheering at at what they were seeing before them because I imagine this might have been the first time they'd seen a match like this in person. Uh, The kids were really getting into it and the adults as well. The crowd was very good for this match. And I thought it was, I thought it delivered fully. Uh, I was surprised that Speedball actually seemed to be the heel in this one, given the storyline leading up to it. Because, yes, North want Leon Slater, their boy, their champion, to win and retain his title. But the story they're telling at North is a very interesting one. The story they're telling is that Leon is gradually becoming more and more arrogant and heelish through the course of this title reign. And after every defense of the belt, he'll give a promo, he'll give a speech, a show-closing promo, 
where, yeah, elements of heelishness just creep in more and more and more. And he keeps saying, there's no one left for me to face. There's no one left. Well, the crowd chant for his tag team partner, Man Like Darice, the lyrical dragon, my boy, uh, which can only mean that it's leading to a showdown between two tag team partners, hopefully. North have set themselves up for a very exciting 2024. I can't wait to see what's in store. But this match... Uh, yeah, I was surprised that Bailey was the heel because of the reasons I've just mentioned with Leon more getting tempted by the dark side and everything. And and But then at the same time, he can still play a sympathetic babyface in the match itself, especially against someone like Mike Bailey, whose strikes were punishing enough to really make you feel sympathy for the babyface, as you should, and for Leon to have to really fight his way back in. And the challenger dominated quite a lot of this match as well. There were obviously some ludicrous displays of athleticism from both men down the stretch, as you'd expect. And I just, on the whole, found it a very fitting main event between two very fitting main eventers. A great main event for North Wrestling and a really good chapter in Leon's ongoing title reign. Leon Slater continues to be like one of the hottest prospects in the entire world of wrestling, which is very exciting for the UK scene. And Speedball did well here coming over um, and putting on a, a typical Mike Bailey work rate match. Excellent stuff from both. Excellent stuff from North Wrestling. Long may their success continue. Now we're heading to AEW, where there was a match. There was a match on an episode of Dynamite in January, which <laughs> blew me away so much, despite only being about twelve minutes long, that I think we may have already seen the best short match of twenty twenty four. Maybe the maybe we should classify it as the best shorter match because, I, yeah, as I say, I think it only went about twelve minutes. But I think short matches are probably considered like sub ten minutes, so it wasn't like really short or anything. But for a match of this quality, to pack this much quality into a 12-minute match, I thought it was absolutely spectacular. The match felt shorter than 12 minutes because it was such a blast, and time flies when you're having fun. It was a blast from start to finish. Nothing was wasted at all, and the big spots were big. I'm talking, of course, about Darby Allen versus Konosuke Takeshita, which, looking back on this match, was between two wrestlers who are just absolutely made for each other. Darby made Takeshita look like a monster, and Takeshita made Darby look every inch the fighting underdog babyface. I don't know what more to say about this match than has been said online already. People seem to love it just as much as I did. I guess a few of my favorite moments uh, were the huge German superplex from the top, the missed knee by Takeshita where he went spilling over into the timekeeper's area. It looked really dangerous and scary and, and therefore cool. The dive from Darby earlier on in the match to the outside countered into a vicious mid-air knee strike. They threw everything at each other in this match. And it was just a little piece of, I've put here, brutal perfection, which sounds pretentious, but I think that sums it up quite well. It, it's what it was. It was awesome. Uh, and for a TV match in AW, which is not a promotion that's any stranger to excellent TV matches, but even in that context, I still thought it separated itself from the crowd and stood head and shoulders above, like I say, any of the other shorter matches we've seen this year so far. Excellent stuff. Even though it's a, a short one, I could see it being, I could see it lingering around my top 10 as the year goes on for quite some time, even if it might not have quite enough to be in my overall top 10 come the end of 2024. We'll have to wait and see. Really big fan of that match. And we go from that, which was so simple and straightforward and did exactly what it should have done, to a one that I found slightly convoluted also from AW, the Escape the Cage uh, six-man tag team match between FTR and Daniel Garcia and the House of Black. Um, on an episode of Collision. And yeah, this was slightly convoluted, 
but I still enjoyed it for the drama that the twists and turns provided, I suppose. I don't know if it was maybe as good as a match like this could have been. I still enjoyed it on the whole. It was still very fun. If you haven't seen it, the story of the match is that Garcia gets beaten down earlier in the night by the House of Black. FTR are like, oh no, we're going to have to find a new partner. They find Mark Briscoe, who comes out during his entrance, uh, immediately gets attacked and thrown off the ramp through a table by the House of Black. So then Garcia has to come out all battered and bleeding to uh, to fulfill the, the, the original lineup of the match after all, but at a severe disadvantage. Good setup there. Also, I have to mention the background to this match on social media with a lot of people suggesting that this match was originally billed as not Escape the Cage rules, but it got changed to it. That's the speculation anyway, because the rumors are that the House of Black are against doing jobs, um, losing matches, in other words. I don't know how true that is at all, but it was quite a funny background of the match. Uh, the House of Black, for their part, I think insisted that it had always been Escape the Cage rules and the graphic just was wrong at first, which I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I think I do believe it because the structure of this match seemed specifically designed for Escape the Cage rules. So hopefully that is the case. Yeah, I enjoyed it on the whole. FTR are always really good at making their matches really mean something, even though I've not found it too easy to get invested in their feud with the House of Black. They always manage to get me invested in specific matches as, you know, a singular fight or athletic contest. So even if I'm not enjoying the overall arc of whatever FTR are doing at any specific time, Dax and Cash find a way to get me invested in the match itself. And that's a really important skill as a wrestler, one that I imagine only a select few have. So fair play to them there. Some of the stuff in the match maybe felt a little bit silly or over the top, such as Buddy um, or oh, not, yeah, he's still called Buddy. I nearly called him Buddy Math uh, Murphy, though. Buddy Matthews escaping the cage, stopping before he hit the floor, looking back at Malachi in the ring, and he goes, get back in here. Let's make it two-on-one in the ring. I didn't mind the tactical element, but it was Buddy slowly climbing back up so that Daniel Garcia could knock him off the side through a table, which was conveniently positioned there. It was still a fun bump. I just don't know if I enjoyed the structure of that spot as a whole. That's nitpicking, though. The drama on the whole was worthwhile, I believe, especially when it did come down to Garcia and Malachi at the end. Really enjoyed the little kick that Malachi did where he just booted the chair out as Garcia is trying to use it to drag his way back to his feet. Slapstick stuff. And I enjoyed the finish as well. And I enjoyed the celebrations of the baby faces because it felt really real, like they'd been through a war and they really earned it. This bout may have felt like a slight letdown on a pay-per-view, I'd suggest. But as a big TV main event, it was impressive and fun. And I have no further complaints. I enjoyed it. Moving over now to TNA, nearly called it Impact Wrestling. TNA, of course, uh, a match that is also now free on YouTube. Will Ospreay versus Josh Alexander. I want to contrast this with the Ospreay match I mentioned before against Okada in New Japan which uh, I said felt a bit hollow or like a bit just not the same level as their match of the year candidate in 2023. In contrast, Osprey's match here with Josh Alexander in TNA, well, that was absolutely full of intent and intensity. Uh, I thought Josh Alexander was absolutely on fire here. We already knew that they had good chemistry from their excellent match last year, and that carried on in this match, maybe even better than the one last year. Um, and I'm really glad that Josh Alexander got his win back over Osprey here in what was uh, kind of an Osprey-dominated opening stretch of the match, but then Alexander fighting his way back. He really is electrifying when he's a babyface making his comeback, throwing the head guard, throwing some huge, devastating slaps to the face and all that sort of stuff. He's really explosive, and, and I really enjoy the way he moves around the ring because he's quick and nimble, but at the same time, there's a real intensity and weight behind everything he throws. Excellent, excellent wrestler, invaluable for TNA to keep a hold of as long as they can even though 
they fired Scott Demore in real life, which isn't a good... L- I don't know the full story behind it. No one seems to really yet. Doesn't seem like a great look for the ambition of the company bosses when Scott Demore was clearly so passionate and willing to invest time and effort into making TNA as good as it can be. Now he's gone. We'll have to see if, um, if they can carry on down that path. I really hope they can. I won't talk too much about specific moments from this match because as I say, it's free on YouTube and I'd highly recommend you watching it even though I did spoil the winner there, sorry. Uh, but there's, a, I think, a bigger story at play here as well about the quality of matches that TNA have. They have a really talented roster. Can that roster overcome this big setback behind the scenes? I think this match got five stars as well, and I think that makes it the third five or five-plus star match in TNA history. Maybe it got five and a half from Melter. Um, and I know that's only one man's opinion, but it's kind of a sign of the times that they are starting to have matches that Meltzer regards on the same level as a promotion like New Japan. Not as frequently as he would perhaps judge, but certainly they're getting up there. The match ends, ironically, with Scott Zamore getting in the ring and talking about how great both men are and how great this match was and how great TNA is and how it's moving up in the world, which, looking back, is a very painful promo to watch at the end of this match because now TNA's future is full of uncertainty. And I feel bad not only for the roster who seem to be devastated by this, not only for Demore himself, but I feel bad for the TNA fans because as long as I've been doing this job and they're not as great in number as loyal WWE fans or loyal AEW fans or whatever, TNA fans always stick around and always represent for their promotion of choice, if that makes sense. As long as I've done this job, I've always been getting tweets from TNA fans or Impact Wrestling fans at the time recommending matches, recommending wrestlers, recommending storylines and shows coming up and just really being passionate about TNA as an ongoing surviving promotion in this very crowded North American landscape. And I feel bad for those fans because if this is really a sign of what's to come for TNA, then it won't be an ambitious future and those fans won't get the reward that their ongoing loyalty deserves. So I really do hope that TNA continue this upward trajectory, even though it seems maybe just a little bit Doubtful so far. It's all up in the air, and we'll have to see whether they can do it. The final match in the North America section I want to talk about is in Mexico, CMLL. This was uh, Templario versus Mascara Dorada, and this also got five stars. And I, I'm sorry for harping on about the Melter ratings so much, but this was noteworthy because it was, the, I believe, the first five-star match in the history of CMLL, which is the oldest active wrestling promotion in the world. So that tells you something. Do I think it was a five-star match? No, 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 I don't. CMLL had one of the best years of any promotion in 2023, and they did so by putting on regular matches like this. Simple, not simple in terms of the moves, which are spectacular and impressive and all that sort of stuff. Simple in terms of the story. Good guy, bad guy, usually two out of three falls. The good guy often has to fight from behind and does so more often than not and wins and the crowd go wild. And they stuck to that very simple formula of main event matches, and it did them really well in 2023. My issue is, and I enjoyed this match, why is this the one that gets five stars? Because I think anybody who regularly watches CMLL will agree with me here. They had so many, like uh, more than a handful of matches easily better than this last year. Both of these guys, Templario and Mascara Dorada, probably had clear matches better than this one last year. So I don't know why this is the one that Meltzer deemed five-star worthy. Because I I didn't, unfortunately. I still thought it was good according to that simple CMLL formula. I thought they both performed really well in the ring. 
I thought the structure of the match told a good story with the heel winning the first fall, the babyface coming back from behind and everything. There was a baffling bit of interference that took me out of it. And I know convention in Luchador, in, in Lucha promotions is different to my more, you know, uh, USA-centric sensibilities that I've grown up on. Uh, and then as I got a bit older, British wrestling sensibilities. I know that it differs all around the world, different things, the level of interference in a match, what the referee lets wrestlers get away with. This felt ridiculous. Because like, Tem- I don't, forgive me, I don't know their name. Templario's like sidekick, one of the members of the minis division, comes in and just flagrantly interferes and beats up Mascara Dorada twice. And the ref just goes, oh, you shouldn't be doing that, mate. Doesn't even eject them from ringside or anything. It just felt, I know that this sort of stuff happens more often. Referees tend to be more lenient in Lucha Libre. I know they often use corrupt heel ref storylines and that sort of thing. But it really ruined my immersion in the match, unfortunately. The action was really good, as I say. The crowd were really hot behind it. It does still warrant a mention in this episode because it was a very impressive match. Some of the choices, some of the the CMLL-isms took me out of it a little bit. Out of the two major Mexican promotions, I'm led to believe that CMLL is far more sensible out of the two, whereas AAA is a lot more silly and ridiculous. And that's why my good friend and colleague Matthew of Botchamania much prefers the silly one. He loves a bit of AAA. The general worldview, the general consensus out there of the wrestling landscape seems to suggest that CMLL is on the rise once again. So we'll have to see whether that continues in 2024. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. That's it for the North America section. Now, there's only one place to head when you want to find the good wrestling, apart from New Japan, which I've just talked about already in this episode. It's time to go. I've spoiled it. It's time to go to Japan, where you're big in Japan tonight.
we are. We're in Japan now. Relax, everybody. We've made it. We're off the flight. Loads of different promotions had impressive matches in January. Japan seems to peak a lot for a lot of different companies in January, not just New Japan with Wrestle Kingdom, but various other promotions as well. So we're starting off with Stardom. Now, they actually, they peak in December. I've lied there. But they had a bit of a difficult 2023. So hopefully January 2024 represented a good new start for them. And the best Stardom match of 2024, in my opinion, of January 2024 so far, was for the IWGP Women's Championship, a.k.a. the one that Mercedes Monet used to hold for a bit. Uh, Mayu Iwatani, the reigning champion, versus Suri. I'm a big fan of both. They're two of the biggest and best names in stardom, which is no easy feat given the depth of the talent in that roster. It was a great clash of styles. You've got Mayu Iwatani, the baby face, the high flyer. She's nimble. She, uh, well, not just a high flyer, but she can do the high flying. Very versatile, though. Uh, and just someone that is so easy to get behind. Versus Suri, just an ass kicker, terrifying badass, whatever you want to call her. And, and even though... Generally, whenever I watch a match involving one of these two women, I tend to enjoy Suri more and her striking and just her bad assery. Here, I actually enjoyed Mayu's performance more. I thought she was absolutely excellent in this match. They both were. But the role of Suri in this contest left me a little bit confused. I get that she's like an incredible striker, the more intimidating of the two, my favorite of the two usually. And I get the stories like she's this unkillable challenger threatening Mayu's reign with the belt and how can Mayu keep this woman down? But at the same time, I'd have liked to have seen a bit more reason behind her comebacks in this match rather than just, right, time to know, time to stop selling and just get my momentum back. I thought, not the performance of either woman here, but I thought the structure of the match was the element that let it down very slightly. Still on the whole, a very enjoyable one. And the, oh my God, I've got to mention the finishing move, by the way, which was unbelievable from Mayu. A best moonsault ever, you know, like the Christopher Daniels does it, Tiffany Stratton does it. Like the stepping up from the middle rope, leaping to the top rope and then into a moonsault. So Mayu Otani did that into a poison rana on Suri, who was standing and approaching the, the, the corner of the ring. So Mayu went bang, bang, moonsault, wrapped her legs around her head, poison rana, and then rolled backwards and, and you know, made the pinfall 4-3. What a finishing maneuver that was. Definitely forgave, it definitely allowed me to forgive a few of the structural elements of the match that I didn't jive with as much. Um, so that was great. Now we head over to Noah, their reigning champion, Keno, a man that's no stranger to matches of the month, had a very important January with two noteworthy matches. The first coming out their big show opening year, their equivalent of Wrestle Kingdom, the new year it's called. Keno versus Manabu Sawyer. It's a striker versus a powerhouse sort of thing. Keno defending this title against a bigger, stronger opponent, but he's got the tools, he's got the martial arts ability to keep him at bay. The big moments in this match were great. The strike exchanges were great. The big suplexes, the big spots were fantastic. The stuff outside the ring was great. The stuff in between, the glue of the match, I didn't find as good. And actually, there was one big high-profile spot that seemed to go a little bit wrong. Wasn't too destructive to the match's momentum, though, but I thought it was worth mentioning, sadly, which is when Keno misses his very ambitious signature move, the moonsault out of the corner into double knees. So he doesn't connect with the moonsault like someone normally would. He actually mid-air, tucks his knees and, and like jams them into his opponent's midsection. But he missed it here. And neither guy really knew what to do. Like, they didn't know whether to sell, whether to not. And the match had to sort of just muddle on a bit from there. But um, Sawyer, the challenger, who I've seen less of than Keno, had a great performance here in particular, diving to the outside at one point, where if you're familiar with Sawyer, 
that's that's no mean feat. He's a big, scary boy, and that was a big, scary dive, so it was very well done indeed. This was a good match. It wasn't the main event of the show, even though it was the title match. And you know how we talk about how one match can often be overshadowed by the subsequent match being even better than it? In this case, I think this match was perhaps fortunate to come before what was a very wobbly and painful-to-watch main event between Naomichi Marafuji and Kota Ibushi, who was not really in any condition to wrestle this match. And they still went long with it and ambitious. And there were moments where it was just apparent that Ibushi in his current state wasn't up to it. I know that people are saying, oh, is he past it now? I don't know if that's the case. Hopefully not. If he can get back to somewhere near the amazing level he was at a few years ago, brilliant. But if he can't, I at least hope he takes, if he wants to continue wrestling, just takes on matches that, aren't like this for a while, if that makes sense. Because it was frustrating, I imagine, for him very much so, not to be able to do the things that he's always been able to do so well. So the match I've just talked about, Keno versus Sawyer, was kind of elevated by the fact that it came before a match that under-delivered so much, unfortunately. The other Keno match I want to talk about was against Go Shiozaki, a veteran of the scene, as Keno is kind of now, to be fair. I think I preferred this one a bit more to the Sawyer one. Keno nailed the moonsault knees for a, for a start. It was a really good match. I was surprised that it went on to be as good as it was because I thought that there'd been a disaster in the opening stages. I really cringe watching it as well. Keno hits a German suplex on the outside. Go Shizaki lands awkwardly, potentially on his head. And you see Keno roll over on the floor, presumably saying, oh my God, are you okay? Thankfully, he was okay, and they went on to have a very exciting contest. Yes, it fell into the, you know, the complex yet now predictable rhythm of, you know, Japanese main events, as have a lot of the matches in this section. I know I've mentioned that already. But the performance themselves, the performances themselves from both men were very, very good. I think I enjoyed this slightly more than the Sawyer one. But on the whole, what I'm trying to say is it was a great month for Keno, two big title defenses, and I'm excited to see what comes next. I don't actually know. I haven't checked whether he still holds the belt. I'm assuming he does. I'm going to look very silly if he's lost it already at the time I record this episode. Next up, Dragon Gate, who, I'll be honest, since I started Matches of the Month in January last year, did not feature nearly as much as I thought they would. Um, they've had a bit of a quieter period. Hopefully this is the start of something new because their best match of January and one I very much enjoyed was Shingo Takagi returning briefly to his old promotion from New Japan and uh, taking on Masaki Mochizuki, who is possibly the best wrestler in his 50s in the entire world. Mochizuki blew me away here, not just with the variety of stuff he can do. And I remember talking about him a few years ago when I used to do the Wrestlers of the Week series on YouTube. And uh, Mochizuki was often appearing on that when Dragon Gate was in a bit of a hotter state. But for him to still be able to do the variety of stuff he does, and specifically at the speed he is able to for a man in his 50s, I was very, very impressed. Check this one out if you can find it. Shingo gives a typically Shingo performance in contrast to the very un-Shingo performance, which was very interesting to see in the match against Moxley that I talked about a, a, a little while ago. This was far more Shingo's wheelhouse, taking on a smaller, yet still very strong and dangerous opponent in Mochizuki, and it's encouraged me to go back and find uh, find some of their matches from when Shingo was in Dragon Gate, just to see if um, if they lived up to this one. Because if 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 a fifty odd year old Mochizuki can have this sort of match with Shingo, I'd be very excited to see what a younger Mochizuki could do. Because uh, I can't recall watching too many between the two, so I'll have to go and check it out if it's out there. I'll have to get on Cage Match after recording this. And finally, 
uh, a match I watched mere seconds before starting this recording. It was the last match I had to watch, and I uh, was shooting the podcast today, the Weekly Cultaholic Wrestling podcast, so I had to squeeze it in just after the podcast. So you know how sometimes Japanese wrestlers put on a show that's like billed as their own show? Sari has been doing that. This is her third one, I think, since she left WWE and returned to Japan since she left NXT. Damn it. How are we ever going to survive without her in NXT? I think she's doing okay. This is her third sort of self-produced show in Japan. She main evented it against her opponent. Uh, damn it. Where is it? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. There we go. Chihiro Hashimoto. I nearly said uh, Shinya Hashimoto, a very different wrestler. This is Chihiro Hashimoto, an all-women's main event. Very good stuff. I'm not too familiar with Chihiro Hashimoto, but I'm a fan of hers now. Absolute powerhouse. Not just a one-trick pony, though. She can do all the different stuff. She's good at selling. She's good at bumping. She's good at. She's incredible on offense. And Sari was the more uh, veteran of the two, just kind of getting her through it in as exciting a way as possible. Getting her through it sounds bad. They both gave their all here, and it was a very exciting match indeed. Part of it, I think, was the venue, which was this slightly smaller venue, um, which I googled actually because I'd never heard of it before. And it didn't look like Hurricane Hall, and it was smaller than Hurricane. And it turned out to be on the seventh floor of a building in the middle of Tokyo. Uh, it's like a conference hall, I guess. And uh, they stuck a ring in it and had a really good one. In fact, a ring might already be there because I think they do martial arts shows there as well. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is the match, which was very exciting. I don't know if it's going to be in my top 10, but if it's not, it's probably 11th. Because um, there has been a lot of good matches this month. But they crammed a lot in, you know. Uh, especially in front of a small crowd, they really went above and beyond what they would have had to do. Given the circumstances, they actually gave their all and more. Brawling around the ring, suplexes into chairs on the outside, Sari trying to wear down this bigger opponent with submissions and that sort of thing. And in the end, picking up the victory, although she really had to work to get it. It's made me a new fan of Chihiro Hashimoto. And even though both women maybe could have delivered the same match and it would have come across a lot better on a bigger scale. I still thought they did the be they did their very best to make the most of a smaller but still quite enthusiastic crowd. So fair play to both women. Now, let's look at my first ever top 10 of 2024. At number 10, we have... Uh, oh, am I going to put the Surrey match in there? No, it's the AEW Escape the Cage match in at number 10. Number 9, Mayu Iwatani versus Suri in Stardom. Number 8, Keno versus Goshiyazaki in Noah. Number 7, North Wrestling gets in the top 10. Leon Slater versus Speedball Mike Bailey. Excellent match on YouTube. Check it out. Number 6, the Wrestle Kingdom Triple Threat. Osprey versus Moxley versus David Finlay. Not a universally loved match online, but I, I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Uh, number five, John Moxley versus Shingo Takagi at Battle in the Valley. Excellent no DQ action. Number four, Dragon Gate, Shingo Takagi versus Masaki Mochizuki. As I say, maybe the best wrestler in his 50s in the world today. Number three, Impact, uh, TNA. Damn it, I'll get it eventually. TNA Wrestling, Will Ospreay versus Josh Alexander. Also free on YouTube. Excellent action. Number two, right, this is where I had a bit of a debate with myself. Number two, is Brian Danielson versus Kazuchika Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, which was wonderful. But that means that number one, and this is controversial, but I, I couldn't put it anywhere else. I loved it that much. Number one is the 12-minute normal TV match between Darby Allin and Konosuke Takeshita in AEW. What about it was, uh, and we'll see how long it can hang on in there in the top 10. Maybe it'll still be here come the end of 2024. Thank you very much for listening to this first 2024 edition of Matches of the Month. I've been Jack from Cultaholic. I hope you've enjoyed it. You can find me on Twitter at Jack the Jobber if you want to recommend any matches from February, which will be out 
oh, in just a few weeks' time by this rate. Thank you once again, and I'll see you all very, very soon. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 